You are now listening to Manifest Christianity with Cephas Crosslet. And now here is your host, Cephas Crosslet. Hey everyone, it's been a little bit. I've been super busy. I know, I know, I'm sorry. You're going to look at the dates on, on when this one is published from the last one. You're going to be like, oh my Lord, like why'd you wait so long? Listen, I got a lot of stuff going on in my life, all right? I got my regular job, which is full-time, by the way. Sometimes I work 60 hours, and it's not fun, but it's, it's a good job. Got my job as, um, you know, pastoring at church, um, that capacity. And I have another job uh, that I do at home. Um, it's in the entertainment field. So it's been quite a busy first two months of this year. Anyways, I hope you're doing great. I hope you didn't miss me too bad. Yes, we are going to get to the Bible reading a little later. If that's what you're here for, that's great. Just kind of fast forward over there to the end. You know, you know where to find it. But another reason why I didn't get on, you know, recording another episode for a while was because it's just, I don't know anything else to kind of get into uh, in discussion. But kind of found one thing that maybe it would be good since this next round of episodes that I'm doing is basically me going back to the first round, the first 18, 19 episodes. And I'm going through each one and I'm basically kind of elaborating more on those because I have nothing else to talk about. And then, you know, I'm just adding on a reading of the Bible at the end as usual. And listen, if you got any ideas that that would be fun to put into this show, I'm open to ideas, please. I'm so busy, I can't really think of much outside of the other stuff I do, but it'd be great to hear more ideas. But a few episodes, not, not a few, one of the first few episodes, there was a a very um, a very big concept idea that I suggested, and I just kind of want to talk about that and the different kinds of um, the different kinds of thoughts. So this is a little different. It's 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 not necessarily me. Um, talking about church experience or the Bible things like that, but it's more of, I just want to kind of give different, hmm, different views, different stages that people might be going through when they are trying to let go of that old religion that they were either brought up in or that they were introduced to and they were holding steadfastly to. And so if you don't remember, um, and, and I forgot to tell, tell you this, but every episode I, sh- I kind of want to just remind everyone, if you want to know like, like all the little details on what it means to live a manifest Christian life, I really recommend to listen to episodes one all the way to 18 or 19. Because that is basically everything, hopefully everything, that that I just 
could just take out of my head. And you would you will notice if you listen to all those, you'd be like, wow, this guy's been holding this stuff in for a while. But listen to all those if you want to know what I'm talking about or if you want to kind of track along. If not, that's fine. You want to be entertained? You Are you entertained by uh, the things that I'm saying? That's great too. So um, either way, welcome back or welcome. So if you're in that Christianity that you don't know anything about, what goes on? What goes on in a person's head when they're in a place where they kind of know that they shouldn't be there? What are the things that stop a person from jumping ship? I think I covered a lot of these, but it's always good to kind of come back. One of the many reasons that a lot of people do not leave their church or their group or whatever is because of kind of um, relationships. That's a huge, that's a, one of the biggest reasons why people do not leave their faith community. It is the relationships that have been established. And truthfully, um, these relationships that are established in church, most of the times they're not necessarily like spiritual relationships. And what I mean by that is these relationships aren't necessarily all about, you know, their ties are all about spiritual practices that they have done together or experiences that they had had uh, that are in the spiritual realm, you know, like a metaphysical realm. Um, it more has to do with relationships of just common interest or just kind of um, learning about each other. And, you know, you kind of grew closer together with that other person. And, oh, what a coincidence. Uh, this person loves Jesus too. And those kind of ties um, over time, those are some strong, solid ties. And it's hard to break away from them. So when you're listening to me talk about, oh, you need a real leap of faith, you know, you need to get away, you know, move away from the church. And, and I say it so flippantly, right? I say it in a way where it's like, oh, why, don't, why, does, why isn't everyone just leaving their church? And I, I don't say that loosely well i kind of do because at this point i'm just kind of like why doesn't everyone just do it? but i say it understanding and coming with a background just understanding that that is a hard thing to do and i feel the the reason why i'm so flippant about it is because because it's so hard it's almost like it's a band-aid you kind of have to be a little flippant about it. you you just kind of have to all right it, it, it's been it's been holding me back it's been I've been feeling stuck for too long just do it and you kind of have to kind of do that sometimes but but I when I do it it's not because I feel I, I think that it's something small it definitely is not anything small the relationships that you have with these communities of faith they're some of the the most important relationships you'll have in your life but I want you to think about this they are no different than any of the other relationships in your life. And so I am under the impression, I don't think this is 100% true all around across the board, but I am under the impression that for most part, the reason why you can't let go of those friends in your churches or your faith groups or whatever, your prayer groups, whatever that you've been tied to, 
is not necessarily a religious or spiritual reason. It's just a common human relational reason. That's just my take on it. If you don't agree, eh, fine, that's fine. You don't have to believe me. You don't have to agree with me. But I just feel that when people, you know, they when they talk about things, just things in general, if that thing somehow falls within the umbrella of church talk, spiritual talk, Christianese, whatever you want to call it, then somehow, you know, those subjects just kind of have a, a, a more magnified effect. Um, and let me just tell you where I'm trying to get at. So, so like when you say, I have a relationship with uh, some really good friends at my church. Compared to, I have some really good friends that I grew up with in my neighborhood. For some reason, for a lot of people, they feel like, or they, they make it out to be like that the church relationships just outweigh any other relationships you have in your life. And I, I could see why people do that is because, you know, of course, you know, as, a, as pastors, you want to, you want to make, you want to make people to come to church and have them think that church is just the best thing. And just, that's, it's just nothing beats church. And so coming from a pastor's perspective, it's always a good thing to pump up church to the people and to somehow make them understand or help them understand whatever, lead them to understanding that church relationships church happenings are important you know and they're they're central they are uh very uh weighty well i don't know how else to say it they're very heavy they should be a, a big part of your life a foundation but brush off all that haziness of words and stuff and 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 just kind of anecdotal kind of uh you know examples of why for some reason, your relationships in church are better than any other. Get rid of all the words. And what you will see is that, like I said at the beginning, these relationships at church, you don't, you're, you're not like, oh, we had an awesome prayer group meeting that one time. And so we have this deep connection forever. It, that's not really how it works. Now, it might be for some weird people, but that one moment... I don't know how long that is going to last for a fidelity of a relationship to hold on, to, to, to be tied to just that one moment that that defines the whole relationship. I don't think that's what it is. Most relationships, you build it by seeing each other kind of hanging out together. And I'm not talking relationship with romantically. I'm talking relationship like friendships, you know, colleagues, people who kind of tough it out through life together. You get these outside of church. But for some reason, people think that because you have these relationships in church, that it's hard to separate because, oh, church relationship, it's even more important. But I'm, I'm trying to say it ain't that different. The only difference is that for the most part, you just kind of lay over just this kind of um, umbrella of faith. And, and and all the good feelings, all the benefits, quote unquote benefits, and all the all the cool things that come with that, just kind of magnify these relationships. And then all I'm saying is, if that is what is holding you back from separating from your church and taking that real leap of faith and leaving the church that you know, 
then maybe you should really rethink that because of what I'm saying is, and once again, I'm not being flippant at all. I'm not saying that that is nothing. It is a huge thing. Let's just get rid of uh, the image of, let's just get rid of just the thought of a church and let's just talk about regular relationships outside of church, outside of religious zones, from work, from school, just seeing somebody every day and you build a relationship with them because you talk to them. These relationships are very strong. And the more you put into these relationships, the more you grow with people together, the more experiences you have together. Guess what? Those relationships are, I would say, stronger than any other relationship. But that's the same kind of relationship that you have with people in church, except for, for some reason, people think in church, oh, it's like a holy ground, so don't touch that. It's like, oh, you got to keep that friend. No, no, no. Listen, I know a lot of people and... Most people who are not Christians, they are more pleasant to be around by far. And that's kind of sad to say, but I'd rather be with people like that, you know, than people who are kind of like uptight. They got things that they can't do. They got a lot of issues that they're dealing with. We all got issues. <laughs> so that, well, another thing, there's no difference, you know, we all got it. So that's one of the things. That's one of the reasons why a lot of people cannot take that real leap of faith and leave that faith community that they've been stuck in. Another reason is that whole spiritual thing. It, it almost seems, it almost feels like you're betraying God, right? Like, uh, 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 apart from just the arguments of oh you know just the relationship with the pastor we can go there too but it, it, for a lot of people they feel like because quote unquote they were led by god quote unquote to a church or whatever and, and you know to enjoy it and to be be part of this group or whatever we tend to have those kind of thoughts and it takes a while for a lot of people to come to a point where they say, yeah, this church isn't for me anymore. And then, you know, it takes a long time. And I feel it's because people have guilt. They have guilt thinking that because they have thoughts, you know, just a thought of leaving that is bad. Because now you're going to not only abandon all these people that you built a relationship, but you're almost, it's almost like you're abandoning god in the church guess what that, that is impossible okay but it, i'm just saying it feels like that right although maybe that's not what it is for you there's this guilt this spiritual guilt that it's like maybe it's not towards god maybe it's just you and you're just like man this church has done so much for me right right oh this church has seen me through all this stuff right if i leave now it's just kind of like spitting on their faith eh. Some people, here's the hard truth, yeah. It is like spitting on their face. I'm, I'm sorry to say that. For some people, when you leave, it is like spitting in their face because you were one of that those people in their life that they really, not want to say relied on, but because you were there, the church was better for that person. You know who I'm talking about. Maybe this is you, but there's that guilt too. 
And that that's part of the spiritual guilt. It's like you, you have this feeling like, you know, if you leave, then this, that, and the other person, they're really not gonna enjoy church anymore. They're they're not gonna come out anymore. Why would they? You know, all these, oh, you know, whatever conditions and, and these these things that happen because you leave. And I just wanna say, as hard as that is, and as real as that could seem, you staying in a church and that being the reason another person is more, quote unquote, encouraged to stay in that church, that's not doing anything. <laughs> that's not helping the other person. You know, maybe it's helping them come out to church, but if that's the reason why they're coming out to church, maybe you leaving is a good idea so they don't have to worry about you and think that I'm coming to church only because, and they can finally come to church for like a reason other than another person, maybe themselves. <laughs> but there's that guilt. And it's real. When I left my first church, it was so real. Like, people called me up and they're like, Cephas, like, you were, you were the best pastor we ever had. And, the, and I'm not trying to, like, I'm not trying to gloat. I'm not trying to be conceited. This is, look, I was actually a really good pastor. In my, in my view, I feel like I was a really good pastor only because... Only because I have one of those personalities where I I can really just, I meld in good. I, I oh, Is that the right word? I don't know. I, I blend in well, very well with people. I can respond well to all sorts of persons. Some people, they cannot, right? Some people, they can, they can interact with most people, but there are some people, they're just like, I can't crack the code. I don't know what to do. But for someone like me, I'm one of those people who are, I'm very flexible in, in interacting with people. And so that makes a really good pass. It really does because you're dealing with tons of people. So when I left this church, because I knew it was time to leave, the calls I got, like, why'd you leave Cephas? Like, you were the only, you were one of the only people that I wanted to see there. And I was like, oh, that's not good. And some of us, when you're when you're like a a new church person, someone new, like a Christian, you have good feelings for that that concept. Like, yeah, I'm coming to church, and because I'm coming to church, this other person's coming to church because we hang out after church, have coffee and donuts together, and it's just fun to see the other person. You know, that kind of thinking is really um, beneficial when you are very young in the faith and you're like. You're like growing in a church and it's good to have peers with you who are on your quote unquote same level, right? And that's that's great for everyone. Like, see, you know, I, I did a lot for the kingdom. You know, it, at first, you know, these, these people wouldn't come out to church, but because I started coming out to church, these people started coming out and I started serving and they started serving and now we're part of the church and serving is strong. And yeah, that sounds great at first, but then if, if that's the precedent that you have set for these other people and they're here because of you, well, I would like to just say that's probably not the right reason to go to a church. 
This is go for another person, right? When you're younger, you're like, yeah, I'll, find, I'll, I'll go to church, mom. I'll go to church, dad, or whoever else. I'll go to church to stop bothering me. Oh, you know, we lost a bet that I'm going to go to church. Oh, I didn't do this. So I, I told you I was going to. You know, it's like if it's always dependent on someone else that you go to church, and let's just get church out of, the, out of the picture. If it's dependent on someone else for you to have a connection with God, for you to take responsibility on yourself and act on that faith by either going to a some sort of group where they pray together or whatever, or, or you know, with church, whatever it is. If it's always dependent on someone else, then I highly question, you know, where you're trying to go with this. Which is fine. If you're going to a church or a group of faith community because of another person, I'm not saying it's wrong. All I'm saying is, <laughs> I guess I'm saying it's wrong, but I don't want to say it like that. What am I trying to say? I'm not saying it's totally wrong, okay? Because like I said before, everyone comes, everyone approaches God for their own selfish reasons. It's true. So it isn't a bad thing that you go to church because of someone else or someone goes to church because of you. But... Ultimately, in the end, the individual is responsible for their own faith and their own life. And if an individual matures in faith, but is always conditioned on if someone else is always there with them or if someone else says this or that or if there's support from this only one person or two, whatever then I'm highly suspicious of the responsibility taken on from that individual because it, it seems like it's not a responsibility. It's just kind of like a tag along. It's a, more of a hearsay. It's more of like a virtue signaling to make sure that other person thinks that you're okay because you go to the church. You know what I'm talking about. Hopefully you do. If you don't, you go ahead and email me, ask questions. Uh, manifestchristianity at gmail.com. But hey, look, there's that. So if that's keeping you from jumping ship, then maybe you should think twice. If a person is the thing keeping you from leaving the church, then maybe you should rethink that because that's, say it out loud. This person is the reason why I'm staying in this church. Well, I think that's a big kind of red flag because it should be, God. It's because I want to be more like Jesus Christ that I go to this. It's because I want to seek God. That's why I go to this prayer meeting group, or whatever. It's not, oh, because my 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 friend Laurie go Lori goes there, or my my buddy Matthew is there, so I gotta go there. L listen, at first, when you're young, that is what it's all about. And that's great. It's great to kind of mature in that way, like you know, it, you know, just baby steps and staircases like, oh, yeah, you know, just this immature kind of thinking about, you know, the responsibility, the responsibility and accountability you have as an individual for yourself and your own faith that grows out of you being immature and you relying on other people to be there. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you, you baby steps and you get older. But if you're long in the faith and you're still relying on someone else, and the high, I highly suspect, you know, like, hey, look, you're definitely not ready to jump ship.
<laughs> if that's the case, because you're stuck. You are stuck if you cannot separate from the people and your own pursuit of Christ. So uh, that's another thing, like a spiritual guilt type of thing that would hold you. Um, for some people, it's a job. That's what it was for me for a little bit. It was the only job, well, not the only job. It, it was one of the biggest, no, no. It was, it was one of my main jobs. And so there it goes, it was my income. So as pastors, it's a little different. It really is. Because it's not necessarily they get to have a choice of, oh, look at all these reasons for me staying, or oh, relationships, oh, spiritual guilt, you know, this and that. It's not about that for pastors. For the most part, it's the income, the living wage that that that, that keeps them at a church. And I'm 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 gonna elaborate a little more just on pastors and Christians after I ramble on about this stuff. But these are some reasons why people don't leave the church or the the, the faith group that they're in. It's because they have these ties to people ties to guilt, uh, a weird understanding of a Christian life and the individual's responsibility of their own life. These are some reasons why you wouldn't why you wouldn't want to let go of that community that you are with. Relationships, spiritual guilt, you know, I'm pretty sure there's more reasons, but let's just keep going on. Um, How do you let go? Easier said than done. How do you let go? When you let go, it almost is like you going against yourself. What I mean by that is this community, this group that you belonged to was your identity. Your Christian identity is most likely tied very much to the community, the Christian community that you are coming from, that you are in. So your, your understanding and your Christianity is just like everyone else. So how do you let go? You cannot let go. I'm just going to put this out there. Yeah, I'm probably 100% wrong, but who, whatever. You cannot let go of that church or that faith group until you hit rock bottom. And that means that you have you have come to your wits end. You have run out of safety flares. You have begun to see yourself becoming a person that you do not want to be. Amazing, 
you can go to a church and be part of a church, a religious, a religious group. You can love everything about it and say so many things about it, yet hate everything about it and hate who you are becoming. It's very true. It's a weird thing. That, it's a weird phenomenon. Phenomena, <laughs> whatever. It's weird, but it's true. You can be so on fire for God, but at the same time, hate everything about it. You could love the people so much at the church, but at the same time, hate everything about them. Hmm? Does this sound familiar? If it does, then you're in the same boat as I am and as many people in the world. The issue is that we're all human. We cannot really help but have these stupid ideas in our head, stupid leanings. And it's because of this, we just can't let go. And that's why I say you need to hit rock bottom. You need to get to a point where all you see is just, what am I doing here? How did I get myself into this mess? Why am I still listening to this person, right? Why am I hanging out with these people? This is kind of rock bottom if you think about it. These questions that lead, that if you're asking these questions, you are very much being led to the rock bottom of your spiritual church life. And this is, I feel this is one of, if not the only way, this is one of the only ways to let go. Because you have to get to this point of just, just hating it so much. Just, just being disgusted by it. And just disgusted by who you have become or where you are in life. Because you have continually made these decisions to stick by something that you have no freaking idea and vested interest in the long run. You're just like, what am I doing here? Why am I here? And if, if you're not about God and Jesus and the whole, whole identity of being a Christian, you shouldn't be one. <laughs> you shouldn't. It, it's okay. You weren't one to begin with. Look at you. It didn't work with you. But if it really is you and you find yourself, you're like, what am I doing here? Well, th congratulations for that first step of being in rock bottom. To be able to see around yourself, be like, man, I am just, I am just out of it here. I got to get out. And that's how you let go. You get to that point. And that's probably like the worst answer for a lot of people out there. Because a lot of people out there, you're not there yet. And you're just like, Cephas, the things you're saying is just so offensive. It's just so kind of scary. It is, it's so like unknown. Like I just don't want to even think about that. It's unreasonable, Cephas. Why would you say such things? Well, I say such things because not a lot of people want to say these things. And most of it is actually very true. It's scary to think about these things. But for me, I couldn't deal with it. I was at my wit's end. Uh, I hit rock bottom in my spiritual life. I, I found myself not only being spiritually abused, right? Just by a weird kind of teachings when I was younger. But I found myself beginning to spiritually abuse the people that I was given 
you know, charge of as a pastor. And I had to, I had to get out of there. It's not safe. Listen, if you are being kind of rock bottomed, you know, in, in that faith community of yours, just because you're not growing, you know, you're just kind of getting bitter. Everything's dumb. You know, you're just like, what am I doing? Listen, you're not helping anybody being there. And we all want to come back to that whole guilt, like, oh, I'm not, I'm not helping anybody because I'm like this. Well, I'm just gonna pray it out, you know. I'm just gonna worship more and raise my hands more and work on it. And I gotta be better for the community. Look, there's none of that. Sometimes, look, sometimes you just gotta admit it and just get the f out of there. And that's what it means when you hit the rock bottom and you're ready to get out of there. So how do you jump? How do you jump ship? The appropriate thing to do would be to go to that leader of the group or that pastor of the group that you have grown to come under tutelage or, or instruction of the Bible from and just let them know, hey, I'm just going to go to another church. You have all the right to let that person, that group know why you're leaving, but you also have all the rights to not tell them. Of course, they're really going to want to know. So the best way is, if you don't want to tell them, is just say, I'm just going to take a break. I need to take care of some things in life. I just need to take a break. Pray for me. I'll pray for you. And I hope to see you around soon. And just separate. That's one way to jump. A lot of people just don't know the words to say. They don't want to offend the people. So they're, 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 that's a very politically correct way to kind of separate from a church group. Just say, hey, I'm going to take a break for a little bit. Um, I have to take care of a few things in my life, <laughs> right? If you want to let go, If you need to get out of that group that you are in, blaming it on the relationships does not work. Blaming it on some spiritual duty that you need to do does not work. You need to hit rock bottom. You need to have that awakening, that face plant. And just, just, just the walk of shame out of that place. It's hard. It, it's, it hurts. It's been over a decade since I left my first church that I was basically, you know, trained in. It still kind of stings a little. I'm going to be honest, it doesn't hurt as much at all. It's almost like it's an afterthought, but it still stings when I think about it. Just all the people that I left behind. Look at me talking like this. I didn't necessarily leave them behind, but this is the kind of language that comes out of people because it's it's that whole thing I was talking about. Like they make you want to think that the everything in church is even better because it's at church. So all the things you have in your regular life, if you do that in church, in your church relationships, anything like it's even better, but that's what they want you to, it, it's really not. It's just a different place. It's just a different setting. But for us to kind of, to kind of give it, you know, more, more worth, just because this is a church thing or whatever, 
that's that's not it. That's not going to cut it. All right. So how do you jump and what happens? Well, yeah, I just I just explained it to you. It's hard. It's hard. But I'm here. I'm here for you. All right. I'll be praying for you. I don't know who you are listening. You might think that you're on your own. And honest to God truth, you're basically on your own. And it's scary out there. But if you have hit rock bottom in that area of your life, I'm praying for you. You can even email me and be like, hey, this is my name. If you could pray for my name specifically. I don't, I don't really, quote unquote, do that. But just to have your name in my mind when I just say a quick prayer. When I agree with the spirit of God that, you know, someone in your position who is just kind of confused and you're discovering that maybe this isn't the right place for you. Someone like you does need prayer. So I am agreeing with you, listener, if you are in this situation, I am agreeing with you in the spirit of Christ's love that you may have the strength, the fortitude, the courage, bravery, the the risk assessing thing, whatever the wisdom, everything you need to get out of that mess that you're in and to pursue Christ in the freedom that comes from getting out of those walls. Let it be. I agree to that. Amen. Hey, let let's take a break right here, and we'll just take we'll talk about some interesting stuff. It might not be interesting, but um, we'll take a break, and then we're gonna continue. Uh, we'll talk about something, and then we'll continue on our reading of Ruth, which you're probably here for that. I don't know. All right, let's take a break. Hey, welcome back. So, this is very interesting thing I'm gonna talk about, but I think I think I have some good points here i don't know if you have better points please anytime just email me manifestchristianity at gmail.com are you enjoying this if you are please email me just let me know i enjoy it thanks a lot <laughs> whatever you say something uh just really quick before we go on our ruth reading what makes a person a real christian or a real pastor right i've been thinking about this a lot especially at work I go to work. I have a sailor's mouth. I I have a lot of fun at work. I I try to just cut it loose and just kind of be relaxed, just just hanging out, just having fun, whatever. Um, I'm I'm very raw. I'm rough around the edges because I like that. I see a lot of people at work, and we're talking about TV show stuff. You know, I'm working on TV productions and stuff. I see a lot of people come in a few, not a lot, but. Every now and then, most of the time, people come in and, you know, like during lunchtime, they say a prayer before they eat. I don't. 
I don't see a problem with not saying a prayer before I eat. But there are a lot of people who come, you know, these like background actors and stuff, you know. They pray in front of everyone, you know. Not, not, not like everyone's watching them, but they pray and then they eat. You overhear their conversations, you know, they're, they're trying to let people know, oh, I'm a Christian, you know, oh, I go to this church. I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you, sister. And it's great and all like that. I don't think that's what makes you a Christian, though. And I'll come, I kind of want to just talk about this before we go into our reading. What makes a person a Christian isn't the outward actions that you do. Now, they out, the outward actions might point to the fact that you might be a Christian, but that doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you pray before you eat in front of everybody, that doesn't make you a Christian. It might show people, oh, this person goes to church and this person's one of those people who prays before they eat. But that's a veil. You know that. Just because you pray in front of everyone you eat does not make you a Christian. Just because, oh, are you, are you in the middle of a mission, right? You're, you're letting God's name be known because you're praying in front of everyone. And maybe they'll ask you a question. Why are you doing that? Oh, it's because I'm Christian. Oh, you just evangelized. Uh, no, no. You're not going to get away with that. You barely did anything. Gosh. A lot of people say grace before they eat. A lot of different cultures, they have like just a special kind of gratitude thing. Not necessarily a prayer, but it could seem like a prayer. Just because you pray before you eat in front of people does not make you a Christian. And just because you don't do that does not make you not a Christian either. If you don't agree with me, please email me. Let's talk about it. But I think I'm right. Just because you do that, it does not make you Christian. And if you don't do that, it doesn't mean that you're not Christian. Now let's talk about the things that you talk about. You can cuss a lot like I do at work. Or you don't have to cuss at all. Does that make you a Christian or not Christian? Once again, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, you could point to scriptures about, oh, you need to be like this up, upright person, you know. Let no no thing from your mouth come out that's vile or corrupt or, you know, oh, you know, don't don't use bad words or things that are insulting or, or things that, that, that um, curse people do not come out of your mouth. That does not mean that you are a Christian or not Christian. Those These are kind of morality laws. Like, oh, you cussed and you must not be Christian. Oh, so if I don't cuss, that makes me a Christian? You see what I'm saying? Oh, if I don't cuss, does that make me more of a Christian? No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. So what makes a person a real Christian? It's the way they live their life. Not these outward appearances. Not these outward actions and physical things that point to something. It's the way you, the, the, the content of your life. The stuff of your life. Are you a lazy ass? Now we're getting into this kind of stuff. Are you a lazy ass? Do you think you praying or talking about God or not cussing says that you're a better Christian who, who wants to make the world a little better by your actions? Or does your work ethic speak louder than that? And I am under the impression that your work ethic the way you live your life, your, your character, your integrity is much more 
of an indicator that you are somewhat Christian or not compared to these other outward actions of, oh, I just pray before I eat. Oh, um, I don't cuss. Oh, I talk about God all the time. I'm, I'm reading a Bible book. I'm reading a, a, a God book. Oh, I watched, you know, pastor sermon. It's who you are. And the thing that drives you to live a certain way, that's the testimony that I want. If I meet any Christian and I work with them and they're just a lazy ass, they're late for work, you know, they're, they're not paying attention, you know, they got other things in mind, they don't know, you know, all these things that, you know, you, you think that people learn to live away, you know, they, they work out of it, you know, because they get a job in the early 20s, they're like, oh, this is not how you should be working. But if people have a horrible work ethic, for me, I'm like, you ain't, a, you ain't a real Christian. What kind of witness is that? Oh, I could pray before I eat. That's a witness. No, it's not. The real witness is the substance of your life. What are you, what are you actually doing? And this leads on to my next argument. What makes a real pastor? What is the thing that makes you a real pastor or not? And a lot of people at work are like, oh, you cuss, Cephas. Oh, you, you're just hanging out with the boys, Cephas. You're rela- you, you don't pray before you eat, Cephas. You're not a real pastor. Here's my argument. It's the same thing. Just because I don't do this or that, that's not what, it, that's not what makes you a pastor. What makes you a pastor is your willingness to stick with the community that God has ultimately just just blessed you with. And what I mean by that, anyone could take up this job of being a pastor and and shepherding a, a community, being there for them when they really need it in hard times, teaching them the word of God, you know, showing them different things in their life, praying for them, you're just being with them. You want the job? Go ahead and take it. Guess what? There's not a lot of people who want that job. So what makes you a real pastor is the fact that you're willing to live your life for other people. Not because you have this spick and span, you know, outward appearance. Oh, oh, you know, my record is clean. Oh, I don't cuss. Oh, I I pray before uh, I pray for That does nothing. I don't care if you do all that. Are you a pastor? Do you take care of the community that you have been given? Are you there for them? Then you're a real pastor because there's not a lot of people who can do that. And there's not a lot of people, if you say, fine, you want my job, go ahead and take it, then they'll take it. Being a pastor is not a small thing. And at the same time, being a pastor, there there is no type of action that you can do to prove that you're a good pastor or not. It's the life that you live. Once again, it's the integrity that you hold. Are you staying faithful to the community by serving them? Not necessarily, oh, are you staying faithful to your community by, by dressing clean, by praying before you eat every time, by not cursing at home, but by these morality rules. It's not about morality. If, if being a Christian was all about moralities, oh yeah, then anyone could be a Christian. Well, just do the right things. But that's not what it's about, is it? So what makes a real Christian and what makes a real pastor is the substance of their life. It's, it's what they choose to do with their life. A pastor chooses to sacrifice a lot of leisure, a lot of things in life 
to be there for the community, to, to love the community, to, to, to lead a community. And a person who has a sailor's mouth can definitely be a pastor because it doesn't matter how they talk. At the end of the day, are they still there? Are they there for that flock? Are they there for the people? Because if it wasn't for them, then who would be there? So there shouldn't be any judging of a pastor because of their actions. There should be judging of if a pastor is actually being a pastor. Not, oh, are they doing everything right or wrong? Let's make a checklist. No. Are they there? Are they present? Are they in it for the long run? And if not, are they actually just in it? Are they teaching faithfully? Are they being faithful to the church and, and being there? Whew. Let's go on and... uh. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. And if you have anything to say against it, please email me. I'm not trying to argue with you. I just want to know everyone's thoughts, you know, because I think that that's that's a pretty bold statement I just said. Right. I think that's a pretty bold statement. All right. Let's go read the book of Ruth. We are in chapter three. Sorry, I'm trying to fix some things around here. Okay, let's go to chapter three of Ruth. Once again, we're just going to read it. And if there's anything to talk about, we'll talk about it. And if not, then yeah. Chapter three of Ruth. Um, what happened before this, just, just kind of quick review. Oh, you know, Naomi and Ruth... They leave Orpah, the other sister of Ruth, back with the Moabites. Ruth is a Moabite, was married to Naomi's son, but the son died. You know, all the men in the family died, basically, and Naomi was a widow. And so they went back to the land of Bethlehem in the Israel area. And as they went back, they met this guy named Boaz, which is a very wealthy man. And Boaz allowed Ruth to kind of pick up the small pieces after all the other people picked up their grain. And he actually showed some favor to her. And Ruth told Naomi about Boaz. And Naomi's really happy because, oh, that you know, even though your husband died, you know, Boaz, this guy, he's actually the next person in line that is, you can marry him if he wants to. And that's where we are. We're in chapter three. Let's read it. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I need to seek some security for you, so that it may be well with you. Now here is our kinsman Boaz, with whose young woman you have been working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes. And go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. She said to her, All that you tell me I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had instructed her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk, 
and he was in a contented mood. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came stealthily and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and there, lying at his feet, was a woman. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant, for you are next of kin. He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. You have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. For all the assembly of my people know that you are a worthy woman. But now, though it is true that I am a near kinsman, there is another kinsman more closely related than I. Remain this night, and in the morning, if he will act as next of kin for you, good, let him do it. If he is not willing to act as next of kin for you, then, as the Lord lives, I will act as next of kin for you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before one person could recognize another. For he said, It must not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Then he said, Bring your cloak you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her back. Then he went into the city. She came to her mother-in-law, who said, How did things go with you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, He gave me these six measures of barley, for he said, Do not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Well, there you go, Ruth 3. A lot of people um, think that this whole scene is, there's a lot of sexual innuendos in it, like um, the threshing floor, her going in the middle of the night, uncovering his feet. People are like, oh, that alludes to maybe genitals, but nah, it could be. It could be, you know, a lot of the writings of the ancient Near East had a lot of things sexual in nature that kind of pointed to other things, you know. So it wasn't just sexual in nature for the sake of being sexual in nature and erotic. It wasn't like that. It was more of pointing to other things of the story that could mean other things in the whole narrative that they're trying to speak of. So um, basically this is a kind of Ruth presenting herself to Boaz saying, I like you. I, I want you. You know, I want you. And Boaz basically returning a favor, like, like not fa returning a favor, but returning the res responding in the same way. Like, I want you too. But 
is a few things. I, I like I like this story a lot. Ruth is just this this figure of like the best kind of woman uh, for that time, right? A woman that is faithful. She has no reason to stick it with Naomi and travel so far away from her home land to be with the people that she has no idea of. She's a widow herself, but she decided to be there for Naomi and the people in the town all knew what an upright person she was. That's what Boaz told her. So Boaz already knows that this isn't, this isn't just some girl that's good looking. She is, she has it. She has it, like the substance, right? She has the content. It's, it's all about that. She's not all about, oh, you know, I'm just going to be a woman and just be pretty. Oh, no husband, I'm going to go back, you know. No. Obviously, she didn't want Naomi, this old lady, to go by herself. What a great characteristic to have. Selfless. She traveled a long way. Like, she didn't just stop. She didn't just stop at the first mile. She went to the last mile with this person. And not only that, she's like picking up the leftovers in the fields to come and help out Naomi too, I'm most likely sure. So this, this woman was great. And Boaz knew about it. And Boaz wanted her. But another great thing is Boaz isn't that kind of guy. He knows where he belongs in the whole scheme of things. So even though he's super rich, he is the upright guy. He is the person with character. He is the person that I would say, wow, look at that person. He didn't even have to say if he's Christian or not. I just That person just a really good guy. And that's Boaz. And that's this part of Ruth. And, and in the end, you know, Naomi's just like, hold up. I know you did all that. And I know he kind of, he gave you a lot of stuff to come back home. Just hold on. I know something good's going to happen to this. Love this story. And if you're sticking by my podcast because I'm reading these awesome stories, hey, thanks. At least I got somebody in. At least I got, at least, at least I got you in. Um, thanks for listening. I don't got much to say about this. the rest of this Ruth chapter 3. It's kind of self-explanatory. It's a, it's a nice story. It's kind of leading us and showing us, you know, who this Ruth fellow really is and who this, uh, I mean, who this Boaz fellow really is and who this Ruth girl is really like. Um, it's a wonderful story. Uh, just Message me if you have another uh, Bible book that you would want to read, you know, after this series of kind of re uh, reiterating the stuff I already did. Uh, who knows where this show can go, right? So uh, I hope you enjoyed today, this uh, episode. Sorry I'm taking so long with all these episodes. I'm super busy. I... <laughs> super busy. But I am so happy that I'm able to kind of make these every now and then. And I hope this is benefiting you somehow and if it is please email me manifestchristianity at gmail.com feedback questions you know uh comments ideas you know whatever you want you know it'll be great uh thanks a lot for listening i'll talk to you later you have been listening to manifest christianity with cephas crosslit <laughs>